Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Good morning, church. It's lovely to see everyone. Um, so this morning we're reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. And this chapter is headed, Growing in Faith. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Thank you so much, Fiona. Um, All right, well, I'm going to be continuing our series on the book of 2 Peter, which uh, is called Standing Firm. We began this last week. And um, uh, this series is is really just, uh, the, the whole point of it is to talk about, or is to look at how we can grow in standing firm um, in our faith, especially in this day and age. And last week we began by talking about um, God's promises to us and how uh, the, the power of God's promises and how they enable us to stand firm in our faith, no matter what circumstances we face. And the Bible is full of God's promises to us. Um, it is, uh, you know, it, it, there are promises about forgiveness, promises about salvation, promises about heaven, promises about God's faithfulness. There are promises about every subject you can think of. And those promises are vital for our faith. An analogy might be that if we were like light bulbs and God is the power source, the cables that carry the power and allow us to illuminate our environment are God's promises. But the question I want us to think about this week is, is how do we respond to God's promises? I mean, this is not, may, may not be a question you've ever asked yourself before, but it's actually an important question because how we respond to a promise can determine whether or not that promise has an impact or not. You know, if you think about it, we can respond to promises in different ways. Uh, we can be either proactive or we can be passive about promises. Um, my kids are a great example of being proactive with promises. You know, when when I promise my kids to do something that they will enjoy, like uh, play a game with them or watch a film with them or take them for an ice cream, they are very proactive in reminding me about my promise until it comes to pass. You know, they'll, they'll just, they'll hassle me. They'll pester me. Dad, you said you would play with me. Dad, you said you would take me to the park. Dad, you promised we could watch this film. They are very proactive about my promises. But we can also be very passive about promises. You know, we can be skeptical and kind of fold our arms and say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. 
But I think that our response to a promise depends on the character of the promise maker. In other words, we believe or doubt a promise, uh, whether we believe or doubt a promise is based on who is making the promise and your assessment of how capable they are of fulfilling that promise. So my kids believe my promises to them because they know I'm capable of fulfilling things like playing games with them or taking them for an ice cream. So they can believe in my promises. But on the other hand, you know, we can often be skeptical, for example, when a politician makes a promise because we know that politicians often promise more than they can deliver. But these promises that Peter is referring to, these great and precious promises, they are given to us by God. So we know that we can actually trust them. You know, we just sang that song, Waymaker. And I, I love that song because one of the things it celebrates is the fact that God is a promise keeper. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, though, is how do we respond to God's promises? And Peter actually tells us how in this passage. Let's look again at verse 5. He says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. So Peter says we're to make every effort. In other words, we're to be proactive in responding to God's promises. But but let, let's back up a little bit. Don't miss that first phrase. He says, in view of all this. And, and that's what, you know, what does he mean by this? In view of what? He's referring to what he's just said in verses three and four. And he just says, you know, that God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life, and that God has given us great and precious promises that enable us to share in his divine nature. Now, this is like, what Peter is saying is that, is that these, in view of all these things, these, these incredible things that God has promised us, that he's enabled us to live a godly life, that he's given us these promises, that he's given us his divine nature, that we're to make every effort to respond to those promises. And that means being proactive and not passive. And if, if they're going to have an impact on our lives, we actually have to take the initiative and be intentional about them. So, so think of it this way. Imagine a student who would like to attend university but can't afford it. Uh, but a wealthy person hears about their situation and out of the goodness of his heart, he offers to pay that student's expenses so they can attend university. But what would happen if that student failed to apply himself? You know, what if he slept through his classes, didn't study and partied away his time at university? Then his time at uni wouldn't be fruitful. It would be of no benefit to him and his life probably wouldn't look much different than if he'd never gone to uni at all. But if he applies himself and studies diligently, then it's going to bear enormous fruit in his life. It's going to be life-changing. And he would have all that he needs to establish a career and would likely have a much higher standard of living than he would have otherwise. That's a picture of why our response to God's promises is important. You know, God gives us what we could never earn. He, he saves us and gives us great and precious promises and gives us all we need to live a godly life. But now the question is, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to be proactive and intentional? Are we going to make every effort, as Peter tells us, or are we going to be passive about them? 
But what does it mean to make every effort to respond to God's promises? Um, I think there are two practical steps that we can take. The first one we talked about last week, and I think it actually begins with, with actually knowing God's promises. I mean, you can't respond to God's promises if you don't know what they are. I mean, that means we've got to actually know what the Bible says. We've got to know what the promises of Scripture are if we're going to apply them to our lives. And since we can easily forget about these things, we talked last week about how it's a good idea to, to write them down and post them in places where you're going to see them often. You know, work them into your prayer life by thanking God for them and asking him to help you believe in his promises. So let me give you an example of how this could work. Um, let's take the promise that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28 when he says, be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Now, this is a promise that Jesus gave not just to his disciples who were listening to him on that day, but to all the generations of believers who would follow after them. So, so this is a promise for you. Jesus is saying, I am with you always. But the reality is, is that sometimes we can feel lonely or, or sometimes we can feel like God's a million miles away and, and has just abandoned us. You know, what do you do in that situation? Well, that's when we need God's promises. Remember, God's promises are given not so much for the good times, but the hard times. I mean, this is the same reason we make vows on our wedding day. We, we don't need vows for the good times. It's easy to stay together in the good times. We make vows for the hard times. We're, we're, we're making a promise for when the going gets tough. That's what God's promises are there for. They're there for when things get hard. So, so when you're facing difficulties, we can then be proactive by taking his promises back to God in prayer. And so in this case, you know, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling abandoned, if you're feeling God's distant, you take this to, to him in prayer. You're saying, Jesus, thank you for the fact that you promised to be with me. And no matter what I'm feeling right now, even though I can't see you right now, even though I can't feel you right now, I know that you are with me in this situation. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for never leaving me or forsaking me. And as you pray that promise, it begins to take root in our hearts and your perspective begins to shift. So knowing and trusting God's promises is one of the ways that we make every effort to respond to them. But there's a second way to respond to God's promises, and it's not what you might expect. And that is to develop our character. It's not really where I would have expected Peter to go, but look at what follows Peter's challenge to respond to God's promises. He says this, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. So Peter gives us a list of seven traits of godliness that should mark believers. Uh, think of it as Peter's version of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, it's surprising, as I was saying, that, that, that Peter goes here. I mean, you might think that he would say, when he's saying make every effort to respond to God's promises, that he would talk about, you know, sharing your faith or planting churches. Or you might think he, might, he would talk about devoting yourself to prayer 
or to practicing generosity, which were two characteristics of the early church. I mean, you might think he were talking about pursuing God's power. I mean, remember, Peter experienced so much of God's power that people were bringing sick people out into the streets so that his shadow would fall on, on them as he passed by on his way to, to go to the temple. But Peter doesn't talk about God's power. He doesn't talk about prayer or generosity. He doesn't talk about evangelism or church planting. He doesn't talk about any of that stuff. Instead, he says, develop your character. Well, why? Why does he go there? Well, remember what he said in verse 4. He said that these are the promises that enable you to share in God's divine nature. If we're going to share in God's divine nature, it means a commitment to develop the same character traits that mark God's own nature. So he he lists these seven traits that we should seek to emulate in our own life. And I'm just going to to go through them quickly because they can kind of pass by in a blur. And he starts with moral excellence. Another translation of this would be moral courage, which I actually like because courage is absolutely essential if we're going to stand up for the things of God in our culture. And then he moves on to knowledge, which is the kind of knowledge that's that's gleaned from firsthand experience. It's, it's knowing how to apply what you believe into everyday life. It's being able to translate your theology into knowing how to practically love your spouse, for example, or, or care for the poor, or resolve conflict with a friend, or, or provide wise counsel to someone. Then he highlights self-control. Another translation of this would be self-mastery. And again, this is essential in a culture that, that encourages us to indulge almost every appetite. Then he mentions patient endurance. Now, standing firm when things aren't going well instead of complaining or giving up. You know, I think a lot of us are learning patient endurance over the past nine months. Then he mentions godliness. Now, this is just living like Jesus would, prioritizing the things Jesus told us to prioritize, uh, which is, you know, loving God and loving others and living with kingdom values rather than the world's values. Then he highlights brotherly affection. You know, this this is learning to love your fellow believers. (laughs) And this is not always easy. You know, if you've been around church for a while, you know that one of the big challenges of being part of a church is not only to love those people who you connect with easily, but to love those who are hard to love, who are, who have quirks, who irritate you or have issues. But part of having God's divine nature is being able to love your fellow believers anyway. And finally, he crowns off this list by telling us to love everyone, which is, you know, devoting yourself to the well-being of others, no matter their response or no matter the cost. To love, according to Peter, means to share in God's own life. Now, Matt, wow, do we need this in our culture today? You know, we live in a cancel, a cancel culture today, which means that our natural response to anyone who disagrees with us is to cancel them, to simply delete them out of our lives. But Christians are called to love, not cancel. It doesn't mean we have to agree with everyone, but we can still love, honor, and show respect for someone, even if we completely disagree with their choices, their lifestyle, or their political persuasion. 
So Peter gives us this list of character traits, and it's by emulating these that we become participants in God's divine nature, and it's one of the ways that we respond to God's promises. Because if God's promises are true, they should impact every part of our life. Or, or let me put it this way, our response to God's promises should be evident in our character. I mean, if you think about it, if God's promises are true, then it should change the way we think, the way we act, the way we respond to hardship and difficulty, the way we respond to those who we disagree with, the way we care for those who have less power and privilege than we do. It should impact every part of our character. And so God's promises bring about transformation in our lives. And those tr that transformation should be evident, should be visible, should be tangible in our character. And I'm so glad Peter brings this up because we tend to overlook this in our spiritual lives. And, and Peter is saying, though, that your character matters. You know, your character will be the lid on your life. John Mark Comer says that, that you can't outrun your character. It's only a matter of time until our private life catches up to your public life, for better or for worse. You know, we can all think of celebrities or public figures or politicians whose private lives sabotage their public life. We see it proved over and over again that your character matters. But in our culture, you know, we're often dazzled by people's gifting, by their appearance, by their charisma, their abilities. You know, in the Christian world, we can do the same thing. We might be impressed by people's spiritual gifts or their wisdom or, or, or some ability that they have. But ultimately, the real measure of your faith is not found in your gifting. It's found in your character. It's found in how you treat people. It's found in how well you love. So the ultimate test of your faith is, is how well you love other people, not how great your gifting is. And listen, you know, I'm a charismatic and, and I believe in the power of God. I believe in miracles. But over the years, I've become so much more impressed by people of character than I am people who are really gifted. I would take someone who has char the character of Christ over someone who is hugely gifted any day. And this is what Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I had the gift of prophecy... And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Wow. Paul is saying that without love, you're nothing in the kingdom. Without love, even if you have great spiritual gifts, you, you would be nothing in the kingdom of God. So your faith in Jesus should impact your character. Your, your belief in God's promises should impact what you're like to be around. You know, if you don't love well, if your character makes you difficult to be with, if you're constantly blowing up relationships, then you're missing one of the main points of our faith, which is to learn to love others. Our ability to love is the litmus test for our faith in many ways. It's where our theology becomes tangible for for others. So this list that Peter gives us here, it, it's Peter's description of what love looks like and how it manifests itself in the life of the believer. But let's just conclude here by getting really practical because 
I got to be honest. I mean, lists like this, they look good. They sound good. But I have to confess, I find them kind of frustrating. Or maybe I should say I find it overwhelming. I mean, Peter lists seven things here. How on earth do you address all of this in your life? I mean, you can't work on seven things at once. I mean, can you imagine doing that with a New Year's resolutions, with your New Year's resolutions? I mean, can you imagine being like, I'm going to lose a stone this year. I'm going to get my finances in order. I'm going to organize my house this year. I'm going to read more books. I'm going to spend less time on my phone. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to be a better parent, be a better spouse. I mean, that is a recipe for disaster. You'll never be able to pull all that off at once. We can really only focus on one thing at a time. So what do we do with a list like this? In my experience, the Holy Spirit will work with you in one area at a time. He won't bombard you with every place you're falling short. I mean, we'd all despair if he did that. He, he will just focus on one area at a time. Uh, he'll focus on the area that, that really, that, the area that he's wanting to address. He's not going to go for it all. And, and that, that's just going to be your focus for a while. And then he might move you on to something else. But, but I want to challenge you today to take this list and ask God what he's wanting you to focus on right now. You know, just sit with him and let him highlight what he's doing in your life, what he's up to, the, the traits that he's developing in your life right now. And then ask the next question. Ask how you can cooperate with him in this. You know, do you need to memorize a scripture that, that reminds you of this promise? Do you, do you need to repent of something? Do you need to make an effort to love someone who you struggle with? Do you need to practice self-control somehow? You know, ask him practically what steps you need to take to work on whatever he's addressing in your life at that moment. And whatever God brings up, you know, that could be a, a short-term thing that you're just looking at for a few weeks, or it could be the theme of your whole year something you're working on all year long. I've heard people might just be focusing on one thing for, for years at a time. It's just wherever God is working in your life. So just to wrap all this up, how do we respond to God's promises? We, we respond to them. We make every effort to respond to them by, first of all, knowing God's promises and by developing our character. And if we're willing to take this seriously and make every effort to respond to God's promises, and my prayer is that we'd all come out of 2021 looking a lot more like Jesus than when we began. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your great and precious promises that are the solid rock that we stand on. Help us, Lord, not to be passive about them, but help us to make every effort to respond to your promises that we may be more like you, that we may love more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.